Hello and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today we're chatting to Tara Westover, author of the phenomenal memoir Educated. We discuss the possible restrictions of calling yourself a writer, how to handle documenting real people and experiences in a sensitive manner, and the role education plays in becoming an author. There was a moment that winter. I was kneeling on the carpet, listening to Dad testify of Mother's calling as a healer, when my breath caught in my chest and I felt taken out of myself. I no longer saw my parents or our living room. What I saw was a woman grown, with her own mind, her own prayers, who no longer sat childlike at her father's feet. I saw the woman's swollen belly, and it was my belly. Next to her sat her mother, the midwife. She took her mother's hand and said she wanted the baby delivered in a hospital, by a doctor. I'll drive you, her mother said. The women moved toward the door, but the door was blocked, by loyalty, by obedience, by her father. He stood immovable. But the woman was his daughter, and she had drawn to herself all his conviction, all his weightiness. She set him aside and moved through the door. I tried to imagine what future such a woman might claim for herself. I tried to conjure other scenes in which she and her father were of two minds, when she ignored his counsel and kept her own. But my father had taught me that there are not two reasonable opinions to be had on any subject. There is truth and there are lies. I knelt on the carpet, listening to my father but studying this stranger, and felt suspended between them, drawn to each, repelled by both. I understood that no future could hold them, no destiny tolerate him and her. I would remain a child in perpetuity always, or I would lose him. So, Tara Westover. <laughs> um, so, we're so delighted to have you on the Riff Raff podcast. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, so, for those people that haven't yet picked up a copy of Educated, please can you tell them a little bit about what it's about? Yes. So, first of all, I'm really glad to be here. Um, Educated is a memoir. It's about my life. I was raised the youngest of seven children in the mountains of Idaho by a father who was something of a radical. He didn't believe in hospitals or in public education. And so what that meant was that we were never taken to the doctor and we weren't put in school. So we lived in a kind of isolated way. For many years, we didn't have a TV and there were a lot of years, actually, we didn't have a phone. A lot of us didn't have birth certificates. In fact, I didn't have a birth certificate. I got my birth certificate when I was nine years old. And by that time, there was actually some controversy about when exactly it was that I'd been born. So that's kind of the premise, I guess, of the of the book. And there really are two themes, I think, of the, of the book. The first theme is education. It's called Educated. Um, and I called it that because it really is the story of how I came by my education. So I mentioned I wasn't formally educated, but my, um, I was 17 the first time I set foot in a classroom and it was a university and I was woefully behind my peers. Just one example, I once raised my hand in a classroom and asked what the Holocaust was because I had never heard of it. And 10 years later, I, uh, finished my PhD at the University of Cambridge. So in terms of education, it's really about just extreme ignorance and then equally extreme privilege. It has both of those aspects to it. And the second big theme of the book is family. And there was a long time where I thought I would just write about my education because it had been, I knew it had been unusual, but it didn't 
take very long before I realized that the story of my education and the story of my family were essentially the same story. And the reason for that was that, you know, my education transformed me. It made me into a completely different person. And me being a different person had really profound impact effects, I would say, on my relationship with my family. So at first, I think it was just kind of hard on everyone because, you know, my parents had these very strong beliefs and it was very difficult for them to watch me making choices that they didn't agree with. But it was also hard for me because I would go back from college and see them living in ways that were I just didn't agree with. And, you know, one thing that was very difficult is when I was in college, there was an explosion in my dad's scrapyard and he was actually burned horribly. And they made the decision not to go to the hospital and just treat it at home. And watching that was incredibly difficult. And I just disagreed. But, you know, what do you do? And so I think it was really hard on all of us. But we kind of found ways to navigate it. But there was something that we really couldn't navigate. And that was my older brother who I call Sean in the book. And my brother Sean is a very complicated person. He was one of my favorite people. He was one of my favorite brothers. He could be incredibly kind. He could be uh, just astoundingly sensitive and aware of, of you as a person and how you felt. But he also, you know, he definitely had a darker side and he could change very quickly. And, you know, a lot of the time he was, he protected me, but there were moments that he was very dominating and he would... Um, drag me down the hall by my hair and he would stuff my head in the toilet and he, you know, sometimes he would call me his best friend and sometimes he would call me a whore and it was, it was a very problematic relationship for all kinds of reasons, not the least, not the least of which was the physical violence. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing that, um, as I grew and changed and I was becoming this different person, the kind of person who knew what the Holocaust was and had read philosophy and history and science and a good deal of feminism and all kinds of things like that. Um, you know, you had the situation where this thing with my brother had been going on since I was very young and I had always accepted it, but suddenly I could not accept it. And so I confronted my parents and I asked them for help with that. And that was just not something they could do. That was not something they could confront. And so the result was I was ostracized from my family. So the story of the book to me, I think it's really about one person's journey to try to remake themselves, and it's about education. But I hope it's about education in the broadest sense of education in the way that it can be utterly transformative. But it's also about the costs of transformation, and I think you always pay a price for real change. And you mentioned that you'd started reading as part of that transformation. Can you pinpoint one of the first books that really had an impact on you? Is there anything that really stands out? Uh, I don't know if I could... I mean, I think all of the books that I read... I mean, it's funny. There must have been dozens, I would say. There are small moments. Mm. And in the book, I I would say there's a lot of them that you think, oh, after she's read that, surely this will be, this will be changing. Mm. And, you know, it, it wasn't always dramatic. I would say the, probably the first example of not something I read, but just going to lectures. And I'd never heard of the civil rights movement and learning about that and how recent it was really changed how I felt about certain things in my family. My family said the word nigger quite a lot, actually. It was very common in my family to use that word. And it was also something that my brother Sean called me quite a bit. And I went back. Yeah, because I would work in the scrapyard. Uh, my dad owned a junkyard and I would kind of get my hands very black and oily and I would brush my hair out of my face. My face would be black and he would call me that. And he called me that the entire summer before I went to college and it never bothered me. I think I thought it was kind of clever, actually. But after I'd learned about the civil rights movement and thought, 
oh, wow, this is so recent. And I kind of understood the word for what it was. And I understood what it had come from and what it what it was designed to do. I, uh, I you know, it's not like I immediately rebelled against it, but it, it really started to bother me, that thing. And again, it's not a, it's not a dramatic moment. It's not a huge change, but it, it was a, it was a subtle change. And it's, you know, kind of a seed and it grows into other things. Another thing I remember when I got to Cambridge, I, um, I started reading about feminism and I would say I was reading quite a lot of feminism, but still when I went home, I, you know, there was one time after I first got to Cambridge and I was reading all these feminist books and then I went home and I witnessed my brother being quite violent towards someone else. And I, I participated in that in the sense that I helped cover it up and normalize it because that's what I've been taught to do. And so there were a lot of moments when what I was thinking intellectually was very much at war with how I had been taught to be or who I had been kind of formed into by my experiences and that took a lot of time I would say there wasn't oh I read this paragraph and suddenly I'm a different person but I think accumulating um it accumulates over years and years and you become different and of course like you know in terms of education you know that is kind of like what you're taught by your family and then what you're taught is it's it's the, the way that you deal with kind of like the molten like millions of nuances of the of the situation is very sensitive and you know it's it's and, you know, and like, as a reader you know you can feel your love for sean and the conflicting love for like and that it's, it's so well written how did you how did you manage all the kind of sensitive sort of, sort of like content it must have been quite quite a slog to write it how long did it take it took um well i had never written narrative before i mean i'd written I had written academic things. I'd written essays and I'd written academic papers, but I had never written a single word of narrative or story of any kind. And in fact, I'd never, I'd read some novels, but only the ones I was assigned. I'd read a few when I was younger, but not very many. And then I'd really only read the ones I had to read in college, which was not very many. And so, and I'd I'd never read a short story. I'd never even heard of them, actually. I had no idea what they were. Um, So there was a good chunk of time when I first decided to write the book that I thought, all oh, right, I'm just going to have to take the time and learn how to write. It's just going to be a process. Mm-hmm. And I remember Googling, you know, what is narrative arc and all these kinds of ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it was about four or five months that I was just just writing the most abysmal things, actually. And I would take them to this writing group and they would just be shredded. I mean, it was just, yeah. And they should have been. They were terrible. Uh, and then I, I, yeah, it was really good for me. But then I think probably around the four to six month mark, um, I started producing things. And then I think it was about six to eight months after that that I'd finished it. Oh, wow. So it was about a year, maybe 13 months after I started writing it. But I would say the first three or four months were not yeah. terribly that's not a very long time really in terms no of it writing. felt fast yeah. but I only had a year I mean I think I because I had no idea if this was going to work if I was going to be able to do it and it's a massive risk to stop yeah. what your life and write a book and I thought right I have a year to do this and that's just how long I have I don't have 10 years I don't have, I have yeah. this much time so I think when I first started writing it, I had the same fears everybody has when they're going to publish a book or trying to write a book which is that it won't get published mm-hmm. but really quickly I actually started to have a different fear which was that it would get published because the story was a bit wild but that it really shouldn't be that I wouldn't be a mature enough writer to really deal with the material in the way that I would want and I thought there'd be nothing worse than that actually to have your life out there in a really inferior way written by a really inferior writer yeah. who is in fact you yeah. so I after after a time that was the thing that really worried me I thought I've really given myself a really limited amount of time and what if I just can't 
What if I can't learn it? What if I can't manage it? Well, the writing is incredible. Oh, so well. I can't, I can't <laughs> believe that writing something that in-depth and that kind of emotional and that, oh my God, it only took you that long. So you took you took a year out of like study. So you finished your studies and you were like, I'll give myself a year. And you Basically, tell us about that process. Like, I like well, that idea. <laughs> I finished my PhD and I thought, right, I could start applying for jobs. And I had this really lovely boyfriend at the time, who we're not together now, but we are on really good terms. And um, <laughs> he, uh, I had supported him for a year while he was looking for a job, because he was applying after his master's. And it was just, I think it was 2011, which was just a very bad year to be applying for a job. Yeah. So it took him quite a while. And I'd supported him, and the agreement was then he would support me for a year while I wrote the book. Okay. Uh, so that was that was literally the amount of time I had, like financially and in every other way. That was that was just all there was. There was no more. <laughs> and then I would have to get a job and grow up and be a normal yeah. person. Yeah. And did you Basically. find that pressure helpful? I I did. Um, I don't know if I thought about it in a kind of. I think that's a, a year is such a long time. Mm. That I think I I don't know if I thought. Oh, I need this finished a year from now. So means I need to work today. I think work is it's a habit that you do it's like brushing your teeth you shouldn't even think about whether you're gonna do it if you're if you have to ask yourself am i gonna work this morning you're doing it the hard way because mm-hmm. you're gonna have to argue with yourself and that's so much energy mm-hmm. did you did you have kind of a rigid structure of how you wrote over that course of that year like did you did you write kind of you know like how, what was your routine um, I got a dog, which I <laughs> I kind of recommend. It's a brilliant suggestion. Yeah, uh, I mean, only if your dogs are a long term investment. I should say, don't get a dog just to write a book. But you actually will have the the dog after you've written the book. Um, but I found it dreadful. I found it so helpful because I have a dog. His name's Leo, and he um just gets up every morning and expects to go outside. He just expects that, and he expects it to be roughly the same time. And then in the afternoon, he also expects to go outside again. <laughs> and I think just having these kind of markers, I got I would get into a routine where I would I would walk Leo. And, as, and when I came in, I would make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and then I sat down and worked. And it was just, again, like brushing my teeth. I just did it. And it wasn't, I didn't think about it, and there was no, um, yeah, there was no other alternative, really. And then I think there's so many times when just stopping your work is the right decision. <laughs> yeah. And, again, I think having, a, having, having a, the dog come over and look at me really pathetically around 3 o'clock was a really good idea. Did you thank Leo in your acknowledgments? No, I don't. <laughs> I think I have this Idaho... Like, I find it very weird when people like anthropomorphize animals. <laughs> like, I just don't. He's a dog. He doesn't care. Yeah. But I do love him very deeply, and I look after him. <laughs> we'll be needing to see some pictures of him later. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and how important... Because obviously, as we've touched upon, you your education is is not the norm. You didn't step foot in the classroom till you were seventeen. Yeah. Um. You now have a PhD um, from Cambridge, which I hear is pretty good. I understand that's a pretty good university to have gone to. How important do you think an education is for people looking to write a book? Oh wow, that's a big question. Um, I think I don't think I have a really I have an answer that's at war with itself. I would say an education is terribly important, and I would say it's not important at all. I would say it's really important in the sense that um, as long as you're thinking of education the right way, and I think one of the things that made me want to write the book is, I mean, I really believe in education. The university experience was obviously crucial to my life, a turning point and all these wonderful things. But I also think we should be more kind of careful, and um, I think our ideas about education are a bit, they've kind of calcified, and they've kind of become a bit stale and brittle, and I think 
I think we'd be much better off to think of education as a much more active mm. thing. I mean, self-directed. Every, all the studies that they do in metacognition and the effect it has on, on students is that it's an amazing effect. If you are participating in in your own education in a really active way, you're going to do so much better. And by that, I mean literally designing your own curriculum. I think writers love to say that you can't, that writing can't be taught. And I, I'm really sympathetic to that. I think writing probably can't be taught, but I'm convinced it can be learned. And I think you can learn anything better than someone can teach it to you. That's something that my parents taught me that I actually really value and really believe in. And I think the curriculum that you design for yourself is always going to be so much more effective than any curriculum that someone will make for you. And I think, I mean, I would love to do an MFA and I love classrooms and I love universities because you get access to people, mm. but it's the access that I think is important. It's not the classroom. If you're thinking I'm going to go to university and they'll make me take exams and they'll make me learn this, you're doing it the hard way and it's probably not going to really give you what it, what it could. But if you, if you're going to really participate actively, then I would say an education can be an amazing thing. So I guess I just want to be careful in how I, when I say education, I don't mean, oh, everyone has to go to the best creative writing school or everyone has to have the same experience. I think education just means actively trying to learn something. And that will always be better than being enrolled in some program kind of half against your will. Yeah. So, so in what way do you think, on, on sort of that note, what way do you think your upbringing furthered your writing skill? Um, I don't know if it furthered my skill. Or did, how did it influence <laughs> in it? In terms of like maybe yeah. like, you know, a, a sort of attitude of working hard or um, like noticing things that weren't kind of like, you know, like being outside a lot. I think it helped me overcome the mythology of writing. I think there is quite a mythology of writing and thinking that you, I mean, if you think about the factors that the way that people talk about writing and being a writer and what you need, you know, you need to grow up wealthy because you need to have a good education and you need to be introduced to art and literature at a young age, but you need to grow up impoverished so that you have sympathy and a kind of sense of our vulnerability and the fragility of human life and all these things. But you also, you need to come from a really stable family environment because you need to be like functional and empathetic, but you also need to come from a dysfunctional family so that you can understand your characters. So you need to live elegantly. You need to live rough. Like it's just not actually possible. And I, I think, I think people get all kinds of ideas of what they need to write and I I think it's probably a bit ridiculous you probably have what you need just go forward Mm. and um you know there's 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 all kinds of ways you can be a prince like Nabokov or you can be a beggar like McCourt and it's it's all good and yeah so I, I think I think for me it made me I wouldn't have necessarily happened upon writing it never occurred to me to be a writer like I said I never wrote a word of story in my whole life and but I had this one story I wanted to tell it and because I had been brought up the way I had I believed I could teach myself to write I believe that was possible despite I think a lot of messaging that we get that says it's not but you know I'd kind of already been through that I'd been to university without any formal education and people would have said that that's not really possible and and I knew I don't think it's because I'm so exceptionally intelligent I just think if you really want to learn something you can do it and you can do it much faster than you can be force-fed it and so I would say that my own kind of my background my life the way I was raised it helped me in that it I really wanted to write about it and I wanted it badly enough to really suffer for, yeah. for like four months and write a lot of crap and then you know hopefully start to get better yeah, yeah. and you mentioned that you went to um quite, you, you showed, showed your work to quite a lot of writing groups just one but just, yeah just one okay and how do you and obviously that shaped quite a lot of your 
your the rest of the writing is that something that you'd recommend people to do like go to I found it amazing there were a couple things I found really helpful the writing group was huge and I think it was also really helpful that I didn't think of myself as a writer Mm. I you know when I would go to writing group and I would read something and I got some pretty harsh criticism (laughs) I remember one guy in my writing group I read something out and he said that it had offended his humanity which is my favorite bit of criticism but you know it was kind of fine when people would say to me oh this is terrible I would sort of say well of course it is I'm not a writer just tell me how to make it better and it was actually I think it was really helpful that writing was not a part of my identity in any meaningful way and it was just about the work I wanted the I wanted the chapter to be better and it wasn't connected to my own brilliance or my identity or sense of who I was I just wanted the work to get better and it made it a really good place from which to accept criticism now I think I would probably be harder I have a little bit more pride in the idea that I'm a writer a little bit more sense of identity tied up I think that will be a bit of an obstacle to me I really do I think it'd be better if I could get that out actually yeah. I think a lot of writers would benefit from having that that approach of just being like it's not personal it's about the work and it's about how I can make it better that's something that we could all probably yeah. take away well I think generally if you're going to write I think if you're trying to write if you're trying to be a writer I think it's a good idea to ask yourself do I love writing or do I love the idea of being a writer it's mm. sort of like falling in love you should really ask yourself do I love this or do I love the idea of this because if you really like with a person if you really love a person with all of their problems and issues then when the hard times come or when things are crap or they do something awful you don't it makes it a little easier because you expected this you bought into the whole package but Mm -hmm. if you're kind of in love with an idea of someone every time they do something that doesn't correspond to that idea you have of them it is awful. It's just the worst. And I, I do think it's a bit like that. If you're trying to write, but you don't really like it, or you don't really want to do it, and we all hate it sometimes. That's <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if it's not really what you want to be doing, and your satisfaction, if you find you get more of a high from being a dinner party and saying, oh, I'm a writer, than yeah. you get from producing something from that you're really happy with. Doing hard graft, yeah. That might be something that you think about, really. <laughs> it's interesting, because a lot of people say, um, like, that makes complete sense, but a lot of people say, like, you have to kind of you have to say that you're a writer to believe it yourself so like kind of there's, there's also that kind of argument like, I think remember, that's true too yeah, like, when I was trying to write my first book I I'd say I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to be a writer and people would be like Amy <laughs> just say you're a writer and I'd be like oh I'm not yet yeah like, so it's kind of like that and, pe- and obviously a lot of our writers have spoken about kind of like having the kind of confidence to be like I'm a writer mm. you know? but then I suppose it's, it's it is about if if you want to be if you want if people that are going to say they're trying to be a writer are the ones that kind of feel that they can't they're not they they care enough Mm. well and that's about self-awareness i would say if your issue and everyone should be aware of their own issues we all have issues a lot of them (laughs) and the best we can do really is just be aware that we have them if your issue is crippling lack of confidence uh maybe that's helpful to you but in some ways for me at least it was kind of helpful not to be a writer because again when someone said this is just shit i'd be like well what do you expect? I'm not a writer. <laughs> and, and I could just, and I was able to help me make it better. And uh, I found that actually a lot more mm. helpful. Kind of once you're publishing something, people expect you to know things and yeah. it's a bit stressful. Uh, how, how, was the, so how was the sort of process of sending it out? And like, how, was it a great response straight away or? I, so I finished it around October and then I did nothing with it because I didn't know what it was or if it should be a thing at all. 
And um, I sort of sat on it for three months and started applying for really depressing jobs because I needed a visa. <laughs> Such depressing jobs oh, that God, I was applying for. I don't even remember now, but I think I had an interview with Ofcom maybe, and wow. I don't know what that was. I still don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> I think you're better off as a writer. Than <laughs> yeah, but I needed that. a visa, let's just say. And uh, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. And um, so I, uh, yeah, I eventually I had a supervisor in Cambridge. My supervisor wrote me and said what are you are you live what's going on and I told him yeah I finished this book and he said he would read it which was kind of astounding so he's head of my department and quite a busy guy and he did read it and he got back to me and said oh it's really great you should publish it and then he tracked down the name of an agent for me it was a incredibly tenuous introduction you know it was sort of like you know I think it was the it was a friend of my supervisor who was a journalist who was married to a novelist who whose agent was in the same building as this other agent. I mean, it was just the most... Oh, wow. Writing that email was so awkward. It was, like, <laughs> the most complicated. I mean, I was so glad that I had studied some grammar because <laughs> I was able to put together a sentence that almost made sense with this kind of five layers of through them. But she did read it, and then she took it. And I, I mean, I had a really good experience because I sent it to two agents, one in the U.S., one in the U.K., and they both wanted it. And then, uh, and it turned out that the agencies worked together. So I got kind of both the agents I really oh, nice. wanted. So that was really great. And then, and then they sold it really quickly, which was also really surprising. It's been sold in so many countries. I looked today, and it was like, yeah, and it was yeah. fast. Yeah, it kind of went. Yeah, it went in the UK. It was sold. Like, I think 24 hours after they sent it out, and then there was London Book Fair, and that whole month it was just kind of yeah auction yeah. after auction it was just crazy and I you know I mean I, for me it was all very theoretical it kind of felt like playing risk you know I would get an email that would say France and then I, okay <laughs> and it all felt it still feels very theoretical to me you know it doesn't yeah. you don't you don't really experience it. You get emails. Mm. <laughs> That's true. Did you, did, you spend, did you spend much time working on it with your agents? Or? About a week. Oh wow so it was it was really so really quick. fast mm. yeah so when we were deciding which publisher that was something I was really um, obsessed with is I wanted to find an editor who was really willing to take the time, roll up their sleeves and work on it with me. Because again, I was not a writer. I didn't know anything about what I was doing. I had acquired some confidence in the craft, but I still felt like, you know, a professional would be good here. And so, yeah, that was something that I was kind of asking all of them. And it, I think for them, they really want to just tell you what, what you want to hear. Like, yeah. oh no we can just publish this and I would say no I want to work on it and they'd yeah. say oh yeah we can do that too <laughs> and, uh, whatever you want yeah exactly so they were yeah they were all they were all really good and and have, because obviously it's a it's quite it's a, as you said it's as much about your family as your education have any of your family read it mm, my whole family I think I think there are a few who haven't um the first ones I sent it to were my brothers who were in the book Tyler and Richard and then my brother Tony and then my aunts and uncles and yeah, now everyone's now everyone's read it. My brothers were really supportive, like Tyler and Richard especially were, and Tony now actually has been really supportive. So I think it's you know it's challenging for them. Mm. There's no doubt about it. This is a tremendous thing to ask of your family, but you know they've been pretty good. Did you sorry? Did you did you ask before you decided to write it? Did you have any conversations with people? Because obviously it's quite. Like, did you ask them whether it was okay, or or did you just think I'm going to write this? This is my story. That's interesting. I'm not actually sure. I think, I, I mean, I definitely told them I was writing it and we had, I mean, oh, dozens of conversations where I would kind of call them up and say, hey, do you remember this one time? Do you remember who was there? Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember all these kind of random things? Yeah. My memory isn't perfect. You know, nobody's memory is. So I really relied on them to tell me things. Yeah. Um, well, you, you mentioned that in the book, don't you? 
Yeah, yeah, I talked to them quite a bit. But, um, yeah, so I... I did. I don't know if I actually asked them, but I definitely sent it to them as soon as it was finished and said, you know, tell me how you feel about this. Like, yeah. We need to have a conversation. <laughs> and, you know, what can't you live with? And, and you know, they were, they were really amazing at that stage, actually. They sort of just accepted it for what it was. And maybe they had a few, they definitely had some corrections of memory, which I worked into it. But, you know, they were, they were, they were, I think that, I would kind of advise people if you're writing a memoir, I read this once and I'm so glad I did, which is if you're writing a memoir, I would really consider not sending it to people until you finish the whole thing. Because I think any individual chapter might be so upsetting for someone. But I think for my for my brothers, I think that it was it would have been hard for them to accept that I was writing about our upbringing. I don't think that they were. That's hard on them. But when they saw it in the context of why I was writing, I was writing about education and I was writing so much about Sean and what happened. I think they felt like this, this, this could be a good thing. And it was easier for them to accept the things that were hard for them because they, they could see a point to it. And, um, you know, I had one brother in particular tell me after he read it, he said, he, he said he'd witnessed a lot of the things that happened between me and my brother, Sean. And one of the things he said was he remembered being really angry with me actually when, when violent things be happening, because I would be laughing a lot of the time. And there's a part in the book where I describe, um, my brother assaults me in a parking lot and immediately people start looking because there's screaming and it's a big struggle. And as soon as I see people are looking, I start to laugh. And I think it's because I think I wanted to believe it was a game, but it was also terribly important to me that everyone else believe it was a game. I just could not live with the idea that he was assaulting me, but I especially didn't want anyone to know or to think or to see me that way as someone who's in that position. It was so much easier to just pretend like it was a game. So here was my brother telling me, I remember being so angry with you because it was so clear to me that he was hurting you and you were laughing and I didn't know what to do about it. And then he said, you know, if ever I see that again, I'll know. I'll know what that is and I'll stop it. And so I think for them, it was once they could see the whole story, it was a lot easier for them to accept the project for what it was. So that context is really important. Yeah. Because I think think you're so right. People, when you tell people, I'm writing a book based on my life and you're going to be in it, people just imagine the worst, that that you're going to somehow reveal their deepest, darkest secrets and use their proper name and make it very obvious (laughs) who it is. And then once they actually see it, it, then it becomes so much more, they're like, oh, okay, it's nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I think people are quite flattered. And it's, uh, yeah, and it's also not a sensationalised book at all. Mm. It's very, like, sensitively dealt with and very, you know, like, you know, you do show all of the different aspects and the love that was there and, you know, there's, there's yeah, it's, it's so good. I'm oh, thoroughly, thank you. Thoroughly, thoroughly <laughs> I'm relieved to hear you say that. I wanted it to be about that because I feel like, um, I don't know, I think sometimes we get kind of a cartoonish representation of dysfunctional families mm-hmm. and it can be very hard to understand why people stay and why people find it so hard to leave and I would say you know leaving an abusive relationship is just as upsetting as leaving a really good relationship um probably even more so because the good things really are good they're not illusions I mean when you when you say that someone is is kind to you or they look after you or the moments with my brother where he was good I really do believe he was good I don't believe he was just messing with my head there were probably some moments he was but um but you know, there's also there's also the bad, and they both just have to be reckoned with. You have to accept them both. But I think I wanted to I wanted to portray a family situation that was complicated because that's just how I experienced it. Yeah. 
Well, you've done that completely. And like, you know, when you were saying earlier about kind of worrying about having like subpar writing about a story that's so interesting on its own without the good writing, like it's you can see why because it, because it is such an interesting story and it, and it could it could have been that, but it is not that <laughs> at all. Like it's um, so yeah. relieved. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, incredible. Um, so yeah, so obviously you're not afraid of hard work. <laughs> that's clear through every stage of the book, and obviously your education. And so, what's the next challenge? What's your next huge challenge? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've so far just been surviving. But I mean, we spent a year revising it, which again I said is really important to me, and I'm really glad that we did that. And when that was finished, uh, that really only wrapped up a few months ago. And then I've been kind of working on how to talk about the book, which was not obvious to me, uh, not a skill that I had, and other things like that. And I haven't really settled into what I'll do next. In a way, I kind of feel like I'm the kind of person who will latch onto something and kind of like a horse with blinders, just not see anything else. And I think for now, I think I would rather not put the blinders on. And if something could really jump at me that I really want to write about, I would prefer that rather than, you know, if I could just force myself to start writing something and I would get obsessed with it and I wouldn't think about anything else. And I think I think that there's something nice maybe about waiting. But I don't know. If in a year or two nothing comes up, I'm going to have to, you know, intervene on my own behalf. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't, we can't wait to hear what you do next. We'll be following you very avidly. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming all the way from Cambridge. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> yeah. My pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Rosie and I just wanted to thank you all so much for listening. We're so incredibly grateful. So please do let us know what you think, what you'd like more of, and any debut authors you'd like to hear from. Also, it would be really lovely if you could subscribe and give us a review so we can spread the word and give these marvellous debut authors the exposure they deserve. The Riff Raff podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com 